The first band that really just tripped me out and made me want to play music was Silverchair because they were young. You know, they were like 15 or 16 when their record came out, and that was only like a year or two older than me. And, and it kind of just made me think like, oh, I don't have to wait till like grow up to be in a band. I can get a guitar now, and, and I want to start doing this. So, um, the a couple of the first riffs off Frog Stomp, their first record, was some of the first stuff I learned to play on guitar, and that record was really special to me for that reason. Hello and welcome to Too Much of Not Enough, a Silverchair podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Hedger, and today I'll be talking to another very special guest. He's the guitarist from the multi-platinum selling band Good Charlotte, and wouldn't you know it, he's also a massive fan of Silverchair. It's the one and only Billy Martin. Live in a I had a really fun chat with Billy talking about how Silverchair influenced him musically, uh, the multiple times he met them and hung out, and also about the state of rock music in 2020. Now, there are some small audio issues on Billy's end, which I've tried to edit as much as possible, but occasionally you will hear some buffering artifacts because of the Zoom connection. Please don't let that bother you. So before we get into the episode, I just want to again say thank you to everyone who's been listening and been in touch about how much you've been enjoying the show. And if you are enjoying the podcast, maybe your friends would also enjoy the podcast. That's honestly one of the best ways to spread the word about the show. Good old-fashioned word of mouth. So tell people about the show, share my content online. If a friend of yours wants to know a podcast they should listen to, suggest this one. And if you feel like it, please rank the show five stars and give a review on Apple Podcasts because that really helps as well. If you're really feeling generous, you can donate directly at the PayPal link in the episode description. I am on Instagram at Silverchair Podcast and Facebook at facebook.com slash silverchairpodcast or you can email me at silverchairpodcast at gmail.com. And just a reminder that if you are thinking about becoming a podcaster yourself, I highly recommend Buzzsprout, which is my podcast host. It's a super easy platform to use and they take the hassle out of managing a podcast. So if you do happen to be looking for a podcast host, I highly recommend Buzzsprout. And if you go to the affiliate link in the episode description and sign up using my link, you get a free $20 Amazon gift card. Okay, with all that out of the way, let's get to my episode with Billy Martin from Good Charlotte. Hey, Billy. Nice to meet you. You too, Daniel. How are you? I'm good, man. I get to talk about my favorite band for a while, so I'm stoked. You know, uh, I never get to do, do these kind of talks. 
Oh, that's awesome then. So how, how like, thanks for being on the podcast. How did you even hear about it? <laughs> yeah, somebody uh, like, uh, a long story short, uh, outside of music, I'm also like a freelance illustrator. Um, I draw for like Marvel Comics and Nickelodeon and Disney and stuff like that. So that's sort of like my, my side job outside of music. And I have a... Um, like a commission form so you can order like original artwork from me. So there's like a little like template box on my website that, that you can request stuff. And a lot of times, you know, fans will just write, Hey, I love good Charlotte. Can you send me autograph stuff, blah, blah, blah. You know, and those, those ones just get moved to the trash or management kind of sifts through the, the messages. This one said, Hey, I heard you were a big silver chair fan. And uh, I heard you used to be on the chat room back in the day and this and that. And I thought you might want to check out this podcast. So someone just kind of reached out and said, listen to it. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Silver chair podcast. Yeah. And I put the, on the first episode and man, I, I think I went through everyone until <laughs> I was done. Like it brought back so much memory, so much nostalgia, so many like things I hadn't thought about. And man, it just, I never stopped listening to silver chair, but like it just, reinforce my love for them like being able to listen to the podcast and you you've done such a good job with it you really have oh thanks man i really appreciate that yeah that's fan yeah wow <laughs> well i should actually mention that you're yeah not just a guitarist you're also a fantastic illustrator and artist um and and you've got uh you can order prints and stuff on your website and you said you do commissions is that right yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Don't, well, um, yeah, anything you want to plug, we'll, we'll put in the, in the show notes okay. and, and everything. Thank you. Something you're also doing at the moment that's really interesting is, uh, on your website, you're doing, uh, like loops and, uh, sort of backing tracks and stuff for, for producers or for rappers or, or right, you know, people yeah. that need, that's really interesting, man. That's really smart as well. Cause you know, a lot of music today is kind of in a sideways way being drawing on, you know, the, the late nineties, early two thousands pop Absolutely. punk emo scene. It's like a golden time for me to be doing this because it's like every, you know, like rapper. I mean, it's hard to call them rapper because so many rappers sing now. It's kind of just a hybrid of kind of rapping, kind of singing, just, just that style. They all are drawing on the sound of like 2000 sort of sad emo pop punk music. That's like such a big sound in hip hop, which um, I didn't see that coming at all. You no. know, thanks to guys like Juice World and Lil Peep, you know, Post Malone, some of these artists who have really, you know, the cool thing about it is I think it's going to make rock music like big again. Rock's going to come, it's going to go through a cycle. Rock's going to be back on the radio again and it's going to be like a normal sound that you hear. But like, who ever thought that it's rap who brought it back? That's what's going to happen. You know, like hip hop is going to make rock mainstream again, which is crazy. Exactly. And, it, and you know, like Machine Gun Kelly's got the number one album yeah. and it's basically a pop punk album. It's a hundred percent a pop punk yeah. record, and I think a lot of people will, um, will kind of knock on it and be like, "Oh, stay in your lane. You don't know what you're doing." But you know what, man? That is a huge win for the rock community. Having a number one record in the whole country be a pop punk record that's you know from a very prominent figure in the music industry. It's huge for rock music. Yeah, well, and I think you know the the rock scene hasn't done itself any favors by kind of gatekeeping its way out of you know pushing away the the rap fans. Instead of, you know, embracing them and saying, you know, that, yeah, check this stuff out too. You can you can be in our club as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's for me, I mean, that's kind of why I started doing the whole like making beats and selling instrumentals because I felt like rock music hasn't evolved. Rock music got stuck, you know, since kind of 
the early 2000s, like I can't think of like a new style or a new genre or a new shift in rock music that's happened really in the last 20 years. Like up until then, you know, you had, you can define music by the generations, by the 80s, by the 90s, by the 2000s. And then sort of after the 2000s, I can't think of like a way to like put rock music in a genre. I feel like it's just on a loop, but like hip hop and stuff has evolved like crazy since the early 2000s. And I think, you know, a lot of it is is the fact of kids growing up with a laptop in their bedroom, you know, and like 10, 11 year olds knowing how to like make beats. And by the time they're 13, they're like, they want to make rock music, but they don't have a band. They don't have a drum kit. They don't have the means, but they're like, Oh, I can program a drum beat and play my guitar and sing over it. And I think that's where the sound came from, you know, out of just necessity, I guess. So it's, I don't know. It's cool. It's cool. I, I think music is at a really exciting time. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Cool. And it's good for like young kids to get into it if they didn't grow up with it or, you know, absolutely. Yeah. So how did you come to Silverchair? How, how, where did you discover them? Were you there from the start? Did you come later? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I was there from, from right when Frog Stomp came out. I think I saw like a clip, like just a few, like 10, 20 second clip of the tomorrow video, not even the full video, you know, like remember back on MTV, there was always like MTV news and stuff like that. And they would, you know, pop in your channel and be like, Oh, we've got new music coming up this week. And they might just show like a little clip or something. And, I remember seeing like the pig and the, you yeah. know, like being like, Ooh, this is dark. This is weird. You know? And, um, uh, so I remember going on like a little family vacation and I was probably like, like 13 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You're only a and couple of years younger. Right? Huh? You're only a couple of years younger than them. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like a big, you know, I'll, I'll tie that all in together for you nicely. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I got this, this record and, and I went on a family vacation and remember just like, you know, being a grumpy 13-year-old, oh, I don't want to go on a family vacation. I want to hang out with my friends. But I sat there with my CD Walkman and put my headphones on. And, you know, Israel Sun starts out right away with the, the dirty bass line. And I'm like, ooh, this is cool. And just obsessed, like, from that second on. I was like, this is my favorite band. And I had that sort of realization that, like, I just kind of started playing guitar and I was getting into music, you know, and I wanted to, you know, and was starting a band with some friends in school. And I kept thinking most of my favorite bands are like 25. So like, I kept thinking when I grow up, I'll be in a band. But then I thought, well, if Silverchair can do it at 15, like, why can't I do it at 15? Yeah. You know, so, so that made me think like, I'm not going to wait, like I'm going to get a guitar. I'm going to get a band and I'm going to do this thing. And, and, you know, I, I signed up like, pretty crazy the same A&R who signed Silverchair David Massey is his name he's the one who signed Silverchair to their main their their uh Sony epic deal their worldwide deal yeah wow so David's also the same A&R who found Good Charlotte you know and and he came to see us good play batting average like <laughs> right crazy and so he was you know you know all the labels are always kind of like pitching you on like you know oh, you should sign with us or you know we had a couple of different labels interested and you know of course David Massey was like you know I, I signed Silverchair you know I know the guys really well I was the one who met them when they were kids and and at this time I was still a senior in high school so I had to have like my parents come to school and get permission from my my principal and stuff like that so that I could go to New York and LA to record our first album and so you know like I I, I manifested I want to do just what Silverchair did you know and somehow like not only did I do it, but I got signed to the same label by the same guy who say, signs Silverchair. So, they're, you know. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's a really, really special band to me on so many levels. So you, that, so obviously that was a big motivator for you, that, that they had the success at that young age and you just, you just took that and ran with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the other guys in Good Charlotte are a few years older than me. They had already graduated high school and um, I joined Good Charlotte a little later. They started out as just a four piece. It was just Benji and Joel and Paul and, and our original drummer, uh, the four of them. And, you know, they were kind of playing local gigs and um, they could do like bars and stuff like that. But I wasn't old enough to do bars. So, um, you know, I would play at like local community centers and stuff like that. And, and I had a three piece band. Of course, we were a three piece. I was the singer. <laughs> I just just wanted to copy my favorite band. And um, so that band would play shows like with Good Charlotte. And as I got, you know, a little bit older, the guys in my band started thinking about college and career and what they were going to do and I was like I already know what I'm going to do like I'm going to be a rock star that's what I'm doing you know like for sure and you know when every teenager thinks that so my band kind of started falling apart because these guys were thinking about college and jobs and um you know I'd become really close with the guys in Good Charlotte and at this point there you know nobody was signed we were just two local bands in Maryland and they were like you know you should join our band as a second guitar player and I thought okay well you guys write these really pop songs and I'm all into like drop D and like, you know, a little more like darker rock music and stuff. I really loved like corn and Deftones and Limp Bizkit and stuff. I was really into like new metal and in the late nineties as well. But, you know, joining Good Charlotte was just fun. It's almost like the grass is always greener. So instead of having to think about what like super weird dissonant sound can I make with my guitar? It was like, just plug in and play like the sweetest, most catchy melody you can over top of these chords. And it was just so different than anything I had done musically. And it just clicked. I plugged the guitar in, we started jamming and I was like, yeah, this, this is good, you know? And, you know, obviously it was a good move because it worked out. Sure did. And I actually read that you and Joel and Benji sort of bonded over Silverchair when you first met them. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, I walked into like a, a coffee shop, um, and they were playing acoustically. And most of the time when you go see like someone in a coffee shop with an acoustic guitar, it's bad, you know, like usually you're just like, turn it down. You know, we're just trying to hang out here. And these guys were just sitting in the corner. Nobody was there. It was totally empty. And they would play in this coffee shop all the time just to try to, you know, get the name out there. And I walked in with my friends and I had dreadlocks at the time, like long dreadlocks. And, you know, so I walk in and, and they're kind of like, Oh, what's up, corn? You know, and I'm thinking like, oh, they're they're making fun of me because I have dreadlocks, yeah. and, and and they're playing these like super super catchy pop songs, some of the most well written pop songs I'd ever heard, and a lot of the songs are on the first Good Charlotte record, you know. And so I remember sitting there thinking like, man, these guys are good. Like, I, we should talk. Maybe maybe our bands could play together. I was like, but we're we're from different worlds. You know, I'm like a metalhead and they're obviously not, but we started talking and, you know, they're like, what do you listen to? I was like, well, my favorite band is Silverchair. And they're like, I love Silverchair. And I'm thinking like, oh, you know, tomorrow, that's it, you know? And then they start rattling off like about Freak Show and everything. And I was thinking like, okay, these guys know what's up. They actually do like Silverchair. So that was definitely like a, a bonding band. And they still do. Like everybody in Good Charlotte loves Silverchair. It's one of our, our group favorite bands for sure. Do you think that you're, uh, that's really awesome. Do, do you think that your you know shared love of sewage share did it influence good charlotte at all or, or even just the way that you wrote songs together or how did what what sort of musical approach did you sort of take to good charlotte from sewage share if any yeah i mean i think you really start to hear it on our third record you know the first record was really basic just kind of radio rock, pop punk. Most of the time, me and Benji are playing almost the same guitar parts. There's not that much. And then on the second record, I got a little more comfortable as a lead guitar player and kind of started with, you know, more textures and more lead melodies. And then on the third record, 
you know, we were more comfortable. And I thought, hey, I want to bring in like strings and orchestras and piano. And I wanted to do all that super dramatic, you know, neon ballroom kind of stuff. And so you can hear like predictable, I just want to live. Both of those singles off the record are very driven around strings and stuff like that. Yeah. And a lot of the the stuff, you know, I wrote the string parts on like a keyboard and stuff like that. Just, well, I want to do stuff that sounds, you know, more like Silverchair because I always felt on the first two records like, you're not in that kind of a band anymore. You're in a pop punk band now. Like you have to play like a pop punk guitar player. And I kind of thought like had to rethink about how I would play music. Um, But the more you get comfortable in your band, you realize like I want, everyone wants your own band to like stand out and be unique. And and I think that's the cool thing in a band is, is it's a conglomerate of like everybody's different musical influences coming together. So, you know, we all kind of had that notion that we wanted to be a little darker record and try things like pianos and strings and um so so yeah i think you can definitely hear a lot of silver chair influence in the third record maybe not vocally or melodically you know but musically i think there's a lot there yeah no i definitely i was gonna say i I think you did have a a similar trajectory you know like the first album and then the second and third and, and and so on uh building on you know bringing in more influences you know going out there with the songwriting a bit yeah, no, I know. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily expect it, but yeah, that's you don't have to be directly musically influenced in in a in a way where you sound like that band. But it, even just the the musical approach or seeing another band um, do something new is kind of like a bit of a something to inspire you to push on. Definitely agree. Yeah, for sure. And and you were playing. I don't know when you started playing uh, PRS guitars, but I sh- was that a Daniel Johns thing? Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, do I still have uh, actually my very first one ever? Of course. Oh wow. Wouldn't be surprised as the color. Ah uh, yeah. Had had to have it's a green, green. one. Um, I, I uh, the cool thing is so, so PRS guitars is from Maryland. Like the factory is actually in the town where 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 I grew up. Oh you know? wow. So so PRS it, it always always had like a. <laughs> a cool hometown feel for me. Everybody in Maryland was like, oh, PRS is the best. And not that many bands really played PRS in the late 90s. I mean, now you see it a lot more, but mm. it was kind of a rare thing. And I thought it was so cool that, of course, like my favorite band also played uh, PRS, you know, which was from from the area I grew up in. So, and they're expensive guitars. So I, I saved and saved for years to get a PRS. Um, and, you know, so I bought that green one with money that I'd saved for years. And then, you know, we got signed and then the PRS people were like, hey, come on down to the, pa- the factory and, you know, pick a couple out. So, which wow. is crazy. My like second, third and fourth PRSs were all, I was like, well, I need a sparkly silver one like the <laughs> video. You know, I just was just, you know, at this, at this point, keep in mind, I'm still a senior in high school, you know, and I'm just copying my heroes, you know, and I'm like, well, I need a green one. I need a silver one. And, you know, yeah. so, yeah. So obviously I, I played PRS because of Daniel for sure. And, and Daniel played PRS because of Paige Hamilton from Helmet. Right. In fact, I think he ended up, I think his first, uh, well, Paige been, gave it to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's actually his guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say, you know, your trivia. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I, I, you'll come to find out that I know a lot about this band, you know, like That's the older good. I get, you realize like, okay, we're all just fanboys on the inside and everybody <laughs> has like that one band who's, you know, just means a lot to them. And, and it's definitely silver chair for me. Yeah. I mean, and, and as growing up in Australia at, the time when they were big, you know, I was 11 when Frogstone so, came So jealous out. of that. That would have been so cool. Yeah. Well, we definitely got, you know, a lot, you know, in a way, you know, and I suppose they would say, you know, they were probably overexposed uh, 
or at least you know the the media the media was you know kind and cruel to them um for sure so i th- yeah i think they they definitely liked not being as well known uh internationally though that you know they got a lot of uh, they got a lot of opportunities uh, by being so big in the in the states as well but yeah sure. yeah, yeah no yeah, in australia they're yeah they're local heroes yeah i mean and it, i also think that it's so ironic that Australia is Good Charlotte's biggest territory. We have like more charting singles and albums that are like records in Australia than more than we have in America, you know, which is crazy. I think I knew that. I was going to ask, like, you came here a lot. And then, yeah, it's just the place that took off for us, you know, like before America really hit, things in Australia started to go really well. I just, this, it's so, the parallels and the irony there are just so weird for me, you know? Yeah. And like, yeah, we have a, uh, there are certain international bands that we, will latch onto like pink is massive here. B- oh, B- I know pink. So big. there, it's yeah. crazy. Like if you go, I've, I've been backstage at the Rod Laver arena where, um, she has the like longest, the n- most number of consecutive concerts. And it was like, she booked it out for like three weeks straight or something. Oh, and there's actually yeah, a plaque crazy. backstage and it's painted pink. Like the walls are painted pink behind. And it's like, this is the pink wing because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I think it's something to do with, like, how genuine we think uh, a band is. And I think, you know, I think Good Charlotte probably fell into that as well. I mean, obviously, Joel and Benji were here for The Voice, and they've, they've been, to, you know, there's a lot of things that we probably saw that we, uh, yeah, we liked about you guys. Yeah, you know, and like doing The Voice, that that was actually, you know, four four albums into our career when they got yeah. asked. So we, were, we already, like, that was just the icing on the cake, you know, for Good Charlotte in Australia, because we had already been, you know, coming there for so long and doing so well. So, you know, that was a, a cool opportunity for them too, for sure. Yeah. And you've got, like, you know, you recently celebrated the 20th anniversary of The Young and the Hopeless. How does that feel? Actually, actually not Young and Hopeless, the self-titled, the one before that. Two more years for that one. Sorry, you're right. It's all right. It's all good. How does it feel to reflect on that amount of time passing and knowing that that album was a huge part of your fans' lives in the same way that, you know, Silverchair was for you? (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I I did like, so I did a live stream. I I do a lot of like live streams on Twitch and YouTube and stuff like that. And I did like a 20-year anniversary live stream where, I played, you know, I sat right here in this room with my guitar and and I played through each song and then I told a little story about each song about whether it was amazing. Uh, some of the similar stories we're talking about when we first met in that coffee house and what it was like in the studio and stuff. And then, you know, I've got a chat going the whole time where I can see fans talking, you know, and like just the, the emotional response to some of the fans was crazy. And I even brought up Silverchair and I think I even mentioned this podcast and I was like, the oh, way wow. you guys are reacting right now, like I get it because... I said, like in next, I said, I've been listening to this podcast about Silverchair that, you know, was my favorite band and I'm actually going to be a guest on the show to, to talk about them. And I'm really excited about it. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard when you're on the inside to see how somebody else could feel about your band that way. Yeah. But then I think like, well, I know how I feel about, you know, there's that certain age in your life that's somewhere between like 13 and 15 and the music that you discover and that, that, that part of your life will stick with you forever. Like there's mm-hmm. those songs that, you hear it and instantly you're like back at high school or like walking home from high school with your headphones on after like a crappy day listening to that record. And those memories are like vivid. Like you, you could feel like almost like you could bring yourself to tears when you hear a song because it's so powerful like that. And um, obviously like good Charlotte's records have been that for a lot of people. And so it's, 
you know, it's, it's, it's hard to like soak that up and understand it, but then you put yourself on the other side and you think about how I am with some of these records. I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Even in like when I interviewed Ben from Silverchair, he said, oh, you know, we're just people. And then he sort of thought about, and he's like, well, you know, the way I think about Led Zeppelin, I mean, maybe that's how fancy him. And I'm like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, for sure. It's so cool that Ben did the pod too. I was really stoked uh, to hear that he was on it. I listened to his episode too. It was great. Yeah, I got I got lucky with that. I think yeah, a few people have been pestering him, so I was hoping that he wasn't just getting annoyed. <laughs> nah, man, he's 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 a really like genuine nice guy for sure. Oh yeah, have, did you ever meet them? Oh uh, yeah, man, I've I have a, a couple kind of silly, some good stories for the yeah, few times yeah. I've actually got to meet the guys a few times. Um, so let's see the. The, the very first time so so i've seen them on, i've seen them on every album like live so i, I saw them on um frog stomp opening for the red hot chili peppers yeah i got to see that i saw them headline the freak show tour when handsome was the opener and that was really wow. good wow um i saw them on neon ballroom um i saw them on diorama and i saw them on young modern so i managed to, to see um and i also uh did i yeah i'm pretty and i think i saw the dissociatives did they I can't remember. I'm 90% sure they came and did one LA show and one New York show, or maybe that was Silverchair and Young Modern. Yeah, I'm, they, uh, they got- I'm not 100%. I'm pretty sure that, that the Dissociatives only went to Europe and they didn't do that many dates, but it would I kind of think they didn't do America, yeah. So that, yeah. I guess I wouldn't have seen that. But otherwise, I've seen the guys on, on all the records, which is really That's cool. pretty good. Like that's Especially especially for Diorama, where they the, the touring was kind of you know, very late and it wasn't as extensive as they'd previously done. That's great. Yeah, man, I, I did, I did some wild adventures. So to see them on, I'm th- pretty sure it was, yeah, on, on Diorama. So they played one show in New York city and one show in LA in Chicago, maybe or, or three or four shows. Mm. Pretty sure they came and it was a really small tour. And I had a day, I was on tour with good Charlotte at the time. And I had a day off a tour that lined up with the same as the New York show. Wow. So I flew to New York on my one day off mm. by myself to go to the show. Yeah. And I, so I went to the show. I was like, I can't not see them on this tour, you know? So I went all the way, got to the show and there was like a little like VIP balcony or something. And, you know, I was there by myself. So I just rolled in and was hanging up on this balcony, like watching it, just thinking like, and some guy comes up to me from behind and he whispers in my ear, like, Hey man, everyone's been talking to you about you and you're acting like you're like hot shit and everybody. And I'm like, what? And I turn and it's Tom DeLonge from Blink-182. <laughs> and Tom's actually like a massive Silverchair fan as well. I did not know and that. And I was like, oh yeah, what's up? And I'd never, I'd never met Tom or anything before that. And he obviously knew who I was. And, you know, so like I turn around and was just like, oh, hey, what's up? I was like, for real? And he's like, no, I'm just messing with you. And I was like, <laughs> okay, like, first of all, I'm already, you know, like a little bit of an anxious person and I'm here and whatever. And he's like, but uh, yeah, anyway, so do you want to go back and say hi to the guys? And I was like, oh, I don't know them or anything. Like, he's like, oh, it's cool. Just come with me. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, because you know that like um, Blink took Silverchair out on tour at some point. I did know like, that. During, yeah. yeah. On Neon Ballroom. That's right. So, so Tom, you know, Tom's like, yeah, come with me. Come on back. So he walked me backstage. I was so nervous. I didn't even say anything. I was just kind of, what, what's up guys, you know, and hardly said anything, but previous prior to that, one of the first times we went to Australia, good Charlotte to play a concert. So we did some big festival and, and Chris's girlfriend at the time is, is a musician. I'm not yeah, sure if they still Sarah, together at the yeah. time he was dating someone in a band, right? Yeah. Sarah McLeod, the super Jesus was the name of the band. Okay. Right. Yeah. So she was, they were, super they were pretty Jesus big. Was on, yeah. 
Yeah, so Super Jesus was on the festival and good trial. We were, you know, like an early band and they were playing later in the day. And Chris was there just to hang out, you know, with her. And after the show was over, somebody was like, oh, do you want to meet Chris from Silverchair? And I was like, of course I do. You know, like at this point, I, you know, never met any of them. So mm. I was really young, like, you know, 17, 18, like fresh off our first record, first time in Australia. And um, so, so they take us sort of like a tent backstage where everybody's hanging out. And and uh, everybody else was ready to like go back to the hotel. It was a late night, but Benji was like, oh, "I'll stay with you too," because you know he wanted to meet Chris. So so we went to meet Chris, and you know he he was really cool. And someone brought us over to him. He's like, "Yo, let me get you a drink." What are you drinking? I was like, oh, "I don't really drink." You know, like I'm a kid. I, I don't know. I, I just wasn't like a big drinker or anything. And he was like, "Well, let, let's do like cranberry and vodka. That's an easy drink." Okay, sure, whatever. You know. And so you know, Chris buys me a drink, and I'm sitting there just thinking, oh, this is crazy. I'm hanging out with, you know, Chris Giano in, in Australia. And literally every time I, I would get to the end of the drink, Chris would kind of like flag the bartender, like bring another one. You know, I'm like, <laughs> oh, thanks. So needless to say, had way too many, you know, and I just remember like being like, oh, you're awesome, man. This is so cool. And, you know, Benji dragging me out of there. It's time to go back to the hotel or whatever. But either way, he was super nice, super cool. Um, that was my first experience. And then, so when I went back with Tom DeLonge at that show, Chris was kind of like, oh yeah, we met before, you know, and that, and that was kind of it. And, uh, so let's see the next time, a few years later when Good Charlotte started to do really well. Sorry, I get long winded. I'm, no, I'm it's a talker. Good. So you'll have to like cut me off if I no, talk No, no, not at all. Okay. So the, uh, and I never get to talk about stuff like this, so it's fine. Okay, so the second time, uh, Good Charlotte had started to do really well. We had some, you know, big songs on Channel V, and we went down, and I think we either performed live or we just did, like, an interview live on Channel V. And uh, recently, we had done a photo shoot for Alternative Press, and on the the main picture, it was, like, a two-page spread inside, and I'm wearing a neon ballroom T-shirt. I remember that, yeah. uh, In the photo shoot. So down in Australia, they took that photo and they made billboards out of it. So like, I remember we like pulled in, we were driving into downtown Sydney and there's this giant billboard on the thing that was like, good Charlotte, new album. And it's me with like the whole band, but like it was me wearing the neon ball. And they're probably like, Ooh, this will be a good ad because he's wearing silver chair. And um, so we're like live on, on channel V doing this interview. And one of the hosts says, you know, what kind of music you into? What are you guys listening to? And, um, you know, so they go through and I'm like, well, my favorite band is Silverchair. And they're like, oh, everybody says that you're in Australia. You know, like you really like Silverchair. It's your favorite band. I was like, no, it's my favorite band. I was like so much so that I have a tattoo, you know, because I have the neon ballroom characters yeah. you see right here, like tattooed on the back of my arm. Awesome. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. I have GC right here. I got my band and then I wanted to get my favorite band yeah. next to it. Nice. So they had me like show the tattoo like live on, on, on air. And they're like, oh, so you really are. And so... I get back to the hotel room and my hotel phone rings. I'm like, no one ever calls. Like there wasn't cell phones back then. At this point we were still using hotel phones Mm. and, you know, pay phones, whatever. So my hotel room rings. I figured just one of the other guys calling and I pick up the phone and it's like, Hey, is this Billy? And I'm like, yeah, who's this? And he's like, hi, this is John Watson. I'm Silverchair's manager. Yeah. And I was like, of course I know your name. You know, like I was a huge fan. I was like, John Watson. He was like, Hey, so I was watching channel V today and I saw, and he was like that, uh, that, that's so cool you know he's like i wondered if you wanted to swing by the studio tomorrow the guys are, are working on diorama at this point you know like on yeah, the, record. Wow. the guys are working on a record do you want to come by the studio and meet the guys and i'm just you know my i'm dancing around the room silently like <laughs> cool yeah i'll see if i can make it you know um, 
so that was just insane. A, the John Watson called my hotel room as, as a big Silverchair fan. And then I was going to be invited to go to the studio. So the next day I like, you know, got up, had my breakfast. I'm so nervous. So, so, so nervous. And I mean, at this point, you know, we've, our band had gone platinum. I toured everywhere in the world. Like it, this was my life at this point, but I was going to meet my childhood heroes and I was really nervous. So I went to, uh, I can't think of the studio. You, you talked about it. Yeah. yeah it's, um, I think it's studio, one, uh, studio 101, 501. Yeah, is there a second? Isn't there two studios that they worked at? Well, the other one was in be- L.A. But you're okay, oh, sorry. No, so maybe were, this was it. Okay. They, they did record demos uh, at... Now, this was late in the process, yeah. like for sure. So there must have been that studio. Yeah. So so I go to the studio and I remember there's a buzzer and they're like, hi. And I was like, what do I say? And I was like, <laughs> I'm here for Silverchair, you know? And they were like, I'm like, this is Billy Martin. They're like, yeah, cool. Come on in. <laughs> so I walk and then John Wall met me out front. It was like, hey, what's up? You know, I'm, uh, come up back. The guy's right here. So, you know, they walked me in and there was like an outdoor sit- sitting area. And um, Ben and Chris were just sitting at a table right there. And they were like, yeah, just come on over. So I walk over and I'd never met Ben before this. And I'm just like, oh, what's up, guys? And they were like, hey, man, you know, we, we heard you're a fan. That's really cool. And I'm like, thanks. Like, <laughs> so nervous, like fully heart racing, having no yeah. idea what to say. And they were like, I was like, so, and they're like, just sit down you know like we got nothing to do we're just we're just hanging you know just come sit so i sat there and i remember like there was a lot of awkward silences and like i had no idea what to say i probably sat there for like two hours probably overstayed my welcome by a ton (laughs) like not realizing like probably you should go now um so like i saw daniel like walk he would like come in and out of the room but he would be like talking to himself and like like he was so like in the zone it was like crazy to see like Daniel like in his element and Ben and Chris were just kind of like yeah man he's in his own right now you probably just like we're, we're just gonna let him do his thing like I was like I'm not gonna say anything so me and Daniel didn't speak I didn't meet him that day but like yeah. I kind of just saw you know him in his element and of course me being a guitar player and a singer as a kid like you know I was like I, I want to meet Daniel but you know I also know what it's like to be in the studio working on an album and being very focused so you know I think back about and like I think Chris only hung for a few minutes, but Ben sat there with me for like the whole two hours. And I always think about how incredibly cool that was of him to take like a young kid like me who he had no idea who I was and let me come into that process and just sit and hang with my heroes for a couple hours. So, you know, that, that was really cool. And, and, you know, Ben had, he'd come out to see Silverchair. Anytime we'd come to town later, Ben and his wife would like come out to the show and hang. So I'd met, you know, Ben a number of times now. And he, he really is just super positive, super nice guy. Yeah, definitely. And, um, so, like, years after that, we did the um, either the Australian VMAs or the Arias. I think it was the, the Australian VMAs. And Silverchair performed Straight Lines, and we performed as well. Um, so that that was really cool. I think we're up for an award, and me and Silverchair are both performing on the same, you know, radio sh- or I, MTV show. Did you – I can't remember exactly, but was that did, – did Joel and Benji introduce Silverchair, or did they introduce the Dissociatives one year? I, I have this memory of, of, of you guys. They could. I mean, they certainly could have. Yeah, I might be wrong I'm about that. Positive. Yeah, I was. But uh, yeah. Anyway. I'll have to go back and look at that. But yeah, you know, like, so we got there and, you know, we're in our dressing room and everybody's kind of just like hanging out. I remember I had my wife with me and like, you know, everybody had like, you know, maybe like their wives or girlfriends or whatever and hanging out and management was a record label and everybody. And it was like a big deal. You know, we were really excited to be performing and, and, I'm so nervous because I'm like, oh, I know Silverchair's here. I'm going to see him. It's going to be awesome. And I was so excited. And 
Um, so we're hanging out and Daniel just comes like walking straight into the room, you know, just comes in like he owns the place. He's yeah. like, hey, what's up? I'm looking for, and he was something like, anyone know where? He was looking for something like where the catering room was or where like a production office or something and just walked in the room, not anyone like, excuse me, hey, I'm Dan, and just walked right in. And I remember like I stood up real, real tall, you know, and I think like my voice was like, hey, what's up, man? You know, like he's just coming into my room like we know each other. And I'm, you know, so... Uh, and I was just like, oh, yeah, I don't I don't know what, what what the thing you're asking for is. I don't know. And he was like, all right, cool. I'll figure it out. And then just turns around and walks out. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, is that it? Like, that's the only interaction we're going to have with Silverchair all night. Like, or with Daniel for that matter. But, you know, I remember my wife totally gave me crap. She was like, you squeaked. You look like a 10-year-old <laughs> boy. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And um, so either way, long story short, you know, Silverchair performed. I think they won like a bunch of awards, killed it. It was super good. It was uh, an after party at a hotel, like a smaller, like roped off area in an after party. So my wife and I and the rest of us were like, yeah, let's, you know, let's go to this party and hang out. So we're at this little party area. And sure enough, Dan- Daniel's there too, you know, and um, he just comes right up to me and he was like, I know you have a silver chair tattoo. Let me see it. Uh-huh. And that's the first thing he said to me. And I was just like, oh man, this is kind of embarrassing. But, you know, so I pulled up my shirt and showed it to him. And he's like, oh man, that's so cool. And I was like, oh, thanks, dude. And I was like, well, you know, your, your band was a big reason why I started playing music. And, you know, you were such a big influence for me. And so he was pretty cool. And needless to say, we probably had like 10 drinks and hung out for like the whole rest of the night. And he was super cool. And, and uh, you know, they always say, don't meet your heroes. But, with those guys, every time I got to meet them, you know, they kind of like knew, oh, this guy loves their band, so we're going to mess with them a little bit. Yeah. But they're also really genuine and nice to me. Uh, so it's been a really awesome experience every time. Yeah, that's, okay, that's, now. that's good to hear. No, no, that's that's good to hear. Because, you know, you, you, you're right. You, you never know when you meet people, even if they're having a bad day. Uh, and, yeah, you, sure. and then you take that away as like the one thing one interaction you've had with them. I'm sure that's happened. You know, I, I always try to think about that when meeting, you know, good Charlotte fans or talking to them like, Oh man, like this could be 10 years in the making for them. Yeah. And this is just 30 seconds out of my day. Like I'm at Starbucks and someone comes up and they're like, are you Billy from good Charlotte? And you'll be like, Oh yeah. What's up? You know? And they're like, depending on the next thing you say, their entire <laughs> 10 years of, of waiting for this is either going to be like, Oh cool. He was nice. Or like, Yo, sorry, I'm with my family getting coffee. Like, cool, see you, nice to meet you. Or, you know, they'll, you know, they'll just start going into this speech about how your band saved their life and this and that. And you have to like sit back and think, like, okay, like appreciate that because that's really cool that someone cares about your band that much. And you know, it's you're right, a bad day. You never know; it could totally change someone's appearance of you. But you know, th- those guys really made it a point to to uh, to be cool to me. So, yeah, because yeah, because even when Ben was. Uh, Get coming on the show like I had emailed him but then separately other people were, t- were telling him to go on the show and I was like I didn't tell them to do that I don't want you to think I was being um aggressively pursuing you because especially uh, you know especially with Daniel as well because I think people have been like not that he checks Instagram all that much but you know I'm sure they've of course I'm sure they're telling him about it for sure yeah and I'm just like I don't want that to be if I do get Chris and, and Daniel on, I don't want that to be the the reason like you've exhausted us. Let's just get this out of the way kind of thing. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. No one's going to do it if they don't want to do it. Ex- well, know? that's exactly what I think as well. And the first thing I thought when I heard the podcast is like, oh, man, I want to do this podcast. I want to come and talk <laughs> about Silver Share. So I'm stoked that you asked me to do it. 
Oh man, definitely. Because I actually knew that. I think I must have remembered that photo shoot with the with the neon ballroom uh, t shirt. Because I remember thinking, "Oh, okay, cool. He if 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 he likes Silverchair that much that he's got the tattoo, he's got the t shirt. It's not just uh, it's not just because you're in Australia. It's like it's a real thing." And I was like, "PRS guitar. I think I know where that's from." Yeah, it all yeah. sort of clicked uh, into and that's place. That's the other thing I forgot when that that person emailed me on my site to tell me about it. They were like, "There's a Silverchair podcast," and they even mentioned you in one of the episodes. And I was like, "Ooh, now I'm extra intrigued." I yeah, don't hear what they say. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, because I think it, yeah, it was um, one of my previous guests, uh, Richard S. He. Yeah, we talked about how Silverchair has sort of in a weird way influenced different genres of music just because of their like approach to music. And um, yeah, I think I brought you up as an example. And like you said, no one sounds like Silverchair because it's true. There's no band that sounds like that. Yeah, exactly true. Like they, I, I, I'm, I try to go through and think what bands out there have, have even Australian bands. I try to think, oh, there's got to be some influence in Australia. There's another Australian band who I really love, who I think is an awesome singer, who has really great melodies, and that's Dead Letter Circus. You know them? Obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do know them. Okay, like I, I have to think that like somewhere in his melodies, they're like kind of pretty and dark at the same time. Like I would think, oh, he has to be somewhat influenced by Daniel Johns, maybe just growing up in Australia. But I would think that there would have been like a wave of clones or something like that bands that wanted to sound like Silverchair, but like Daniel's a genius. Like you can't just do that. You can't just copy yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is like one of a kind. I mean, I think he's the best singer that rock music has ever had, you know, like that guy's pipes are insane. Yeah. he. It is funny that, yeah, they weren't really clones. Like, even the bands that were coming up at the same time, I, maybe we were fortunate in Australia to not have, uh, I guess it's a smaller pool, but we all had very, each band had a different sound and they kind of knew that that was what they wanted to do. And I think, you know, it, maybe in the States, it, it was a bit more competitive with like, oh, we have to sound like the next big thing and, and yeah. So when Silverchair changed their sound, they weren't chasing something, uh, they were trying to experiment in a way that wasn't ripping anyone off or trying to sound like anyone. I mean, you know, Daniel Johns was deliberately not listening to music at various points because he didn't want to be accused of ripping people off, especially probably now I think about it because in the early days they were, had these sort of inaccurate comparisons to, you know, Nirvana uh, or Pearl Jam when, you know, they were just as much influenced by Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. And they were kind of, yeah, they were just doing what they interpreted that music as sounding. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. It's the labels too, you know, like genres and labels, like record labels, a lot of them like need the template to figure out how to work something, you know, they're like, yeah. well, it has to fit into these boxes and go this way because that's how we promote it and that's how we sell it. And that was the easy thing to do with Silverchairs. Grunge was killing it at the time. He kind of sang it a little. Yeah, they did sound a little bit like Pearl Jam and Nirvana. I mean, they did, you know, but it. But they also sounded a ton more like Black Sabbath riffs, yeah. you know, stuff like Israel mm. Sun, Leave Me Out. Like those songs were, those were not grunge riffs at all. No. Maybe more Soundgarden, you know, E riffs or something like that, if anything. But yeah, I don't know. I just... For me, like everything, Freak Show is my favorite record. Even though I have the Neon Ballroom tattoo, that just made a better tattoo. Yeah. But I think Freak Show for me is 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 my favorite record. I was going to ask you. That's is, when they kind of really broke that mold 
Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to ask because you have the the Neon Borum tattoo. Was that the big album for you? But Freak yeah, Show. No, no. I think Freak Show, Neon Borum, and Diorama. All three of those are like perfect albums front to back. Yeah. You know, tomorrow there's a little bit, you know, some like really youthful stuff that maybe like even some songs that, that they're a little embarrassed of that like okay, but and then Young Modern like it got away from a little bit of that like I want to say like whimsical side of Silverchair that I really loved. There was mm-hmm. sort of that. Uh, orchestral cinematic whimsical like push and pull of the dark but pretty at the same time like young modern like they went away from that i still love young modern there's a couple tracks on it that are just insane but it felt more like like a side project to me like dissociative interesting like silver chair than young modern does to me it's interesting because i actually i'm doing research for the young modern episode at the moment and in all the interviews daniel was saying he really tried to bring whereas on other albums he would just write however he wanted and he didn't care or think about what the audience was hearing on young modern he at least said that he was trying to bring the audience along and maybe uh yeah i think the quote that he had was i want to sing to the people that don't want to be sung to so and i was like well yeah i get i get that but i would yeah i do wonder whether whether not that he compromised but that it was a definite different approach. For me, the biggest thing has got to be like the guitar tone. Yeah. You know, the guitar tone felt so like not silver chair to me, like that sort of telecaster, like sort of like abrasive percussive, like sound to the guitar. Just silver chair had never done anything like that previously. Um, so for me, I think it was just sort of the, the mix and the production and the tone that felt different. Although, you know, David and Nick both worked on it, you know, Staples and Silverchair production. So you, I'm surprised it doesn't, but yeah, that's the record that, that feels the most different to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think any two albums sound the same, which is a, a pretty, and they all sound good, which is a fairly amazing feat. Hard to do. It's crazy. You know, like I'll meet other people who love Silverchair, like other guys in bands or just other friends and like, the people who know, like, really know. It's either you know tomorrow or you know everything about every record. There's, <laughs> yeah. like, no in-between. Yeah. But that's the best music fans, I think. Definitely. So what? Or you- the best is when – sorry to cut you off. Like, when, when someone's, like, Silverchair's your favorite band, they're, like – they were, like, the kids from Australia, right? To Fat Boy, right? I'm, like, yeah. And then I'll be, like, check this out. Here's one of their later songs. And you put on, like, um, Across the Night or something. Yeah. And they're, like, no way this is the same band. I'm like, yeah. And like, they're like, I love blowing people's mind by, by doing stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens to, you know, it, it is interesting that in America, in, to some, to some people who have like a vague memory of that era, they will, they will only know tomorrow or, you know, a song from the early days. And then, yeah, to, to even, they, they didn't even consider that the band went on to have a, a career after that just because yeah. they weren't in the public eye in America as much. Yeah. It's too bad because those records really deserve some more attention. Definitely. So let's talk about uh, Freak Show. Like, what is it about Freak Show that's got the the exact right elements for you? I love, like, sad pop, dark pop. You know, right. like that for me. Yeah. I love, like, melody is so important for music for me. Lyrics have never been that huge to me, which is convenient because Daniel has is a weird lyricist, it, you know? Yeah, he is. <laughs> Um, and I think that was always the one thing that, that kind of bothered Benji and Joel because lyrics are like huge to them in, in Good Charlotte in yeah. general, like having lyrics that connect with people and like help people through hard times and just really open, honest lyrics is really important to Benji and Joel. And, you know, we, we 
we kind of tease each other about stuff like that because they know for me it's like a, I get a feeling from a song. I don't care what you're saying. It doesn't matter what you're saying. Like either mm. I get that feeling or I don't. And it's from the tone of the melody, the tone of the music and, and, you know, like stuff like, you know, cold sore cream and stuff like that. They'd yeah. always be like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just about, and there was something about freak show that was like sad, you know, but like so melodic at the same time, but simple too. Like I, I, I appreciate the complexity of diorama, but but I love like simple when you can take something like just a few chords and a few melodies and have something that matches up so perfectly and just the whole like drop D add nine chords and mm, stuff that yep. he was using all over the place. Like yeah. like just like the beginning of learn to hate, like those mm-hmm. four chords together. Like any I love an add nine chord, especially in drop D. Like it's the most like dark and pretty sounding chord at the same time. And he just used it all over the place. Um, I would say Slave is my favorite Silverchair song. Yeah, like, that's one of that, mine too. The riff, like, dun, 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 that riff is just like insane, you yeah. know? Like, and I love the way, and you, in this is one of my favorite parts of this podcast, is you, how you go technically into the songs, <laughs> not just about them, but about like oh, the thanks. chords and the note changes and how he drops down to the first fret and the, and it's just that one note and it follows the phrasing of the vocals, but not the melody, but yeah. the same phrasing. Yeah. And that's the only time it happens in the song. And then he goes right back to the right. Like, that's so simple. But who would think to do that? And that D sharp is out of key too, you know, which is also really crazy too. Like, but it fits so nice. So just all the simple things and the step up from Frog Stomp to Freak Show was an insane jump as far as song. It really was. um, The way his voice sounded. His voice sounds so good to me. And I kept thinking, you're 17 and you're writing these songs and singing like this. Insane, you know? Yeah, essentially between Frog Stomp and Freak Show, there's only... I mean, they were they were recording that sort of a year later. Like they sorry, they were recording Freak Show a year after they'd released Frog Stomp. So there was just a massive. I think there's massive leaps in between each album, but especially those first two. It's called tour, man. You go on tour and you play every yeah. single night, nonstop. You get way more comfortable with your voice, with your musician, with each other as a band, like. Just, just you know, because up until then it was probably just jamming around. There were a bunch of kids playing, like, but, but you go on tour and you are playing every single night, and you, you make leaps and bounds as as a musician. So, I mean, I would attribute a lot of that to why Freak Show was so good because they just had put the miles in, you know. That's true, and and even like Ben was saying, they would write during soundcheck in the early days. Yep. Just, just cool like that. And also, it's probably a nostalgia thing with that record too, why it was so good for me. Um, I remember riding my bike to the store to buy the album and I'd like saved up enough money to buy the record. Um, I was working at McDonald's at the time, you know, yeah. like just a crappy little job. And I drove my bike right after school to go there. And I remember walking in and being like, oh, I want the record. And there was this VHS up on the wall that was like, like outtakes and mistakes yeah, or something. Yeah, that's it. Is that what that's it was called? That's what it's called. Like that? And I remember being like, oh man, I don't have that much money. Like I got to have the VHS too. I want it so bad. And I was like, I want the album. How much is the VHS? And he was like, oh, like the first 50 people who buy it today, get it for free. And oh. I remember just like losing my mind. Being like, I get that for free. Yeah. Like so pumped. And uh, so I, I put my, my headphones on and my Walkman and I had to like be to work. Like I had like a short time to get from school. School got out. 
I drove, drove my body record shop, bought the album, and then I had to get back to McDonald's on time for my for my shift. Huh. And I think I only got to listen to like three songs in my in my headphones. Yeah. And I was so like, oh my gosh, like the first three songs were so good. So good that when I had my like 15 minute break, I went down to the break room and put my headphones on <laughs> and I had to listen to like two more songs on my break and then go back up to finish it because I was so excited for this new record. I mean, I just loved music at this point in my life. It was everything to me. You did, know? did you have a Discman or was it on cassette? Yeah, no, a, a Discman. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I'm a little bit younger than you, but I have a, a similar memory because I... Actually, I have the Freak single, and on the Freak single, the B side is is a, a song called Punk Song Number Two. Yeah. Oh, I have I have every single dude from from <clears throat> the first record. I was Lama Appreciation Society. Oh yeah, everything. Awesome. Oh, I got all that good stuff. Yeah, and and I yeah, and then when the when Freak Show came out. Yeah, I, I was 13 years old. I, I Oh, so you got the Freak Scene, because I got it later, you know? So, like, you couldn't get those singles in America until, like, after the album was out. So you got the Freak just the yeah, yeah, before the album came out. That's it, because, uh, yeah, there were, the, in Australia, obviously, there, there was a pre-release. See, that's so crazy, because, like, it, the where we at with music right now, there was no MP3s back then. So no. Like, the, I didn't hear anything from the record until until I heard till the the day the album came out. You know, I think there was, like, a... Maybe Abuse Me, I guess, was like the American single. Yeah, which but is I still strange. Like having like a little, um, like the type of tape recorders that you hold up to like do memos in or something. Yeah, it's yeah. Like a little tiny short tape, you know? Yeah. Dictaphone. And I had this, this is what I would record ideas from my guitar in my bedroom as a kid. Like, And MTV News came on and I remember there was like a clip where they showed Daniel talking about Cemetery, right? And I remember holding the thing up to the MTV and recording the interview, and there was like a five-second bit of Cemetery in the background. And at this point, like, so so I guess they had already recorded, the, uh, done videos for all three of the songs before the record came out, maybe, because there was like a clip of the video or something. Yeah. And uh, I remember just playing that little part over and over and over again and being so excited to hear Cemetery, but, but I didn't have the album yet. Yeah, I mean, they, they were playing... See, in Australia, we obviously had them more on TV and stuff. I think I might have even seen the freak video before I had the single, but okay. they, um, yeah, I'd, I'd heard them play at least Freak and Cemetery at. I saw them in 1996 at at a festival because um, they were and they were still playing Frog Stomp stuff because it was end of '96, so before Freak Show was out. And I remember specifically hearing new songs and going, "Oh, okay." That's what the new Silverchair album sounds like, and I remember yeah. specifically hearing uh, "Cemetery" because it was it was so different. Yeah, like I mean, somehow I was able to get the songs too. I was like really into like there was like an AOL chat room for Silverchair back in the day. Oh wow, yeah. Back when that was like the cool thing. There was no like social media or anything. It was either going on chair page or being in the AOL room, and people would send links to stuff. And and I remember getting like seeing footage of them doing like pop song for us rejects, but it sounded a bit different. And then freak and slave, yeah. like those three songs were sort of bouncing around in the set as different versions. And I, I'm trying to think like when I went to see them on frog stomp, would have they, I, I think it was too early in the touring cycle. Like that was like yeah. when it had just come out. So I don't think they played anything like that, but they might've played. I remember that slave was maybe fairly early or maybe it was later in the frog stomp tour, but they were definitely playing slave. Cause I think, I think the thing that the, the reason they didn't like playing some of those older songs was because by the time they'd recorded them, they were they were already writing uh, the freak show stuff. Sure, yeah. 
and it's so crazy because you don't like nowadays yeah we would never play a live song like a new no. song live before recording it or something like you just wouldn't for some reason it's just like you you have to set the promo up with the single release and it has to be a big deal but if you've already spoiled it by playing it all i mean i guess there's a few shot few songs on the chronicles of life and death that same thing that we had like written and worked out over sound checks during yeah. the young and hopeless tour and we had started playing them live on young and hopeless tour like hey you want to hear a new song and we played a played a few new songs but that's the last time we'd ever we'd ever done anything like that um yeah you know there's actually i don't know if you can find it but there's a, a cover that that me and benji do of cemetery oh wow no i'll have to look um, that up it was some kind of a charity thing or something where like they were asking bands for cover songs and we were on the warp tour at the time and Benj was like hey they want us to do like a cover song for something and he's like but we have to have it done in like a day and he's like there's like a little recording studio van thing like warp tour had this traveling studio yeah yeah that would be on the tour and you could book it out and he was like i know you know how to play cemetery like in your head i was like yeah of course and he's like so let's me and you just go in you play it and i'll sing it so we sat there and we recorded it so it's just me playing acoustic guitar and him singing it and we did it live a couple times in australia too so i don't know if there's any footage of this around i'll have to look for that for sure of us doing cemetery live at at a at a couple gigs but yeah i'm I'm just like was thinking about playing random stuff like when anytime you play something that the audience might not know it is a gamble whether you're gonna kill the whole vibe of the set or not but silverchair did it so much because they were like, we don't care. Like, we just want to play new songs. It, like, I, I brought it up to, to Ben as well that you, he, they were playing new songs at the Rock in Rio gig, which was like 200,000 people. They played like three Super songs Boston, that nobody yeah. had ever Hollywood, heard. Hollywood, too. I remember that everyone was like, like oh, yeah. this new Hollywood song. And then it doesn't even make the record, which no. is crazy. No, that's, yeah, that's why I, I, the, the diorama B-sides are, are awesome. Yeah, see, like, I can't, those I can't find. Like, you you brought them up. Me listening to your podcast made me think about, oh, yeah, like, uh, Asylum being like, oh, that, that song is just yeah. insane. You know, like, some of the most well-crafted chords and oh, melodies. Yeah. And, but it's not on, it's not on any streaming services. See, the thing is, it, it is here. That's the thing. You've, it is. So, like, I, uh, it, was it on the Without You single? And it, and you can, well, it's on my Spotify definitely. I'm pretty sure it's on iTunes and Apple Music as well. But that's crazy. But it's not here. I looked for it recently yeah. after hearing your podcast. Yeah. Like, Ooh, I need to hear some of those well, B sides. That's the thing. Like, um, there was someone at there's a Silverchair Facebook group that I'm in that's been very helpful with uh, finding these kind of things. Oh, that's and, cool. and someone was asking uh, where they can find the associatives, and all the Australians are like, oh, it's on Spotify. Or it's on Apple Music, it's, and that's yeah, not, but it's not. But it's not in America, and I have no idea why that would be, other than they didn't have American distribution, I, or they did and it lapsed. Yeah, I have to look it up because I swear that I have it on mine, unless it's just because I bought it and oh, it's you know in my what? account still or something like that. You know that. what? It might not be the Dissociatives is, up. but I can't believe it's not. Rock might not. Yeah, be. no, Dissociatives is 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 definitely on okay. on Apple Music for streaming. It must have been in America. It must have been. I can't I'm believe it's not it right rock. Now. But some of those other singles are not. Yeah, it's crazy. So, is is your is your favorite overall song from Freak Show, or do you have? Like I mean, a- yeah, like I don't know. I mean, there's so many ones. Emotion sickness is is way up there as well yeah. too. I remember just just the whole time you you heard Silverchair like with the orchestra and the piano and just like him hitting his falsetto and just like the grandness of Emotion Sickness was just insane the first time I heard that. Yeah. Um, so. I hold that song up in very high regards to the night too, you know, like they, they, 
obviously those are all the first songs on all the records, you know, Silver Chairs. And yeah. I would say the Israel song is probably my favorite song from Frog Stomp. Yeah. So like the, the first song on every Silver Chair record for me has always been like, oh, you, you like you peaked right on the first song, you know, like it's so good, but I still love it. every song. There's there's no songs where I'm like, mm, skip. You know, yeah. there, there's something in every song where I, even if a song comes on, I'm like, oh, this one's the least favorite. Maybe like a bridge or a pre-chorus will happen. I'm like, oh, but that part right there is so nice. You know, there's, yeah. there's always something. Yeah, they're pretty good at structuring the the albums in terms of track listing as well, which is sort of a forgotten art maybe now <laughs> in the For age sure, of streaming. Yeah. yeah, you're right about uh, even if the you're, you're not digging part of the song, something will happen to sort of bring you back in. Like there's a couple of songs on Young Modern that, uh, you know, in my head I'm like, oh, I don't love that song. And then, I was you know, you listen to it and you go, oh, but there's that part that's really cool or... Um, or I forgot about this chord change that he does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like it's 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 good, you know. And especially those later records are really good in headphones too. There's so many little oh, yeah. subtle, cool little mixing moments and stuff that 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 keep it keep it exciting. So, you know, I even love Daniel's solo record. You know, like at that point yeah. was when I had really started to get more into like we were talking earlier about how you know I I make a lot of beats and instrumentals and stuff that that I. You know, so like I, I produce for other artists, but a lot of times it's me working by myself, building the whole track and then just sending them. I mean, nowadays you don't have to be in the same room with an artist to work together. Yeah. Um, I had really been into uh, programming and keys and like, you know, drums and just a lot more like electronic music. So I just kind of another strange parallel in my life when like I, I'm, you know, I've been listening to a lot of R&B, a lot of pop, a lot of electronic stuff. And that was just sort of, I was really bored with rock. Like we talked earlier, how mm. I feel like rock music and have just got, got stuck for a while in the two thousands and there was nothing new coming out, nothing exciting. And I felt like it was just the same stuff. And I kind of ventured away from rock and I was doing a lot more just listening to, like I said, R and B and electronic. And then lo and behold, Daniel Johns comes out with like an electronic R and B record. Yeah. I'm like, Are you kidding me? It's like, it's like he's in my head or something. But <laughs> then I start to think we're also like of similar ages. And as you grow up, your music, taste changes and you wanting to try new things and like right at the point where I was really into different stuff and trying new things like he puts out this record that was so on par with all the stuff that I was into so for as much as people don't care for that record I, I really really loved that record now I can't say the same for the dreams record um that one doesn't really do anything for me it's maybe just like I just think like it's cool and it was fun and, and as a musician I like the idea of like, make the record that you want to make. Cause if yeah. you make the record that you think you're supposed to make, you will hate that record and will not be genuine. Like you have to make the record that, that you want to make. That's how great music comes out. And like where he's at with his life with dreams, that's the record he wanted to make. And I'm glad that he made it because like, if he didn't get that record out, who knows like what would come after it or what were, what, where he would come before that, you know, like, but I, you know, as a fan, I think, you've got like the best voice that I've ever heard. And you're just like whispering and screeching weird stuff. Like yeah. sing, man. Like I know you can sing. So for me, it was more of just like, I'm waiting like, Ooh, he's going to let it go on one song, but he doesn't really. So yeah. 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 I think you're, yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, and that, that's, you know, he's writing with uh, Luke Steele and that's probably a different vibe between them. Totally. It's a different atmosphere. But yeah, I think the solo album, um, yeah, it has some really good high points. And there's a cup, there's at least one song on it that was going to be a Silverchair song because there's there's bootleg footage of them playing um, the Going on 16 song 
That's a silver chair song. Okay. Because that, that's like one of the last ones I would guess to be a silver chair. Yeah. Song too. Well, I think I think it went, underwent a, a, a big overhaul musically and arrangement wise. But um, that's the thing. Like the, the the heartbreaking thing is that they were in the studio recording the sixth album, and then it just it just stopped and and sort of we'll probably never know what happened really. But yeah, there were there were there's definitely unreleased material from those sessions that you know maybe we'll see the light of day to see him yeah i'm trying to think i'm looking at the record now because there's like one song on it that i really that i really love it's uh something with water in the title or something about water what's that none of them say that at the titles this i can't think what it is yeah i have to admit i'm i i'm not as uh up to date with with the solo album i've dipped into it yeah, I need to build up to that one. <laughs> I, I mean, I I think it would be hard for a lot of Silver Chair fans to appreciate it. I think it just came at like a really good time for me when like I was open to a lot of styles and a lot of that, and you know, so I I, I did appreciate it. I'd love to see what you know. I know there's he keeps posting pictures and making music, so I know there's something coming. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and, and he's sort of teasing the fans by putting a, you know a photo of him with a guitar, and people are like, oh. And he kept, didn't he kept saying number six or something like that too? There's something with the six, and you think, well, that would be the six silver chair record, you know? Well, I think it was, wasn't it number nine, and it was. Oh, was it, it? Was, okay. And I it was, thought I said something about number six. So it was the five. With people now? Was the five silver chair albums, Dissociatives, Dreams, and the solo uh, okay, album, okay. and so not. So, so it would just be his ninth project. Period. Yeah, but I am interested to because he the, one of the things that he's always said is he doesn't want to go backwards, so he's always going to do something different. So if it's different to the solo album or to Dreams, who knows what that looks like? That's who the knows? exciting thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, like I said before, like as a musician, I get that. Be like, hundred percent. I look back at, at like, you know, so when Good Charlotte first was coming out and started to do well, and we got thrown in the pop punk category. I don't know that we ever thought to be a pop punk band. But people were like questioning our punkness all the time. They're right. like, oh, you guys aren't real punks. Like you guys are fake pop, you know. And, and they were always like trying to ask us questions in interviews like about like really underground and like obscure punk questions and always trying to like catch us in it and be like, yeah. see, we knew you were a fake. And it always pissed me off because I was like, yeah, I don't like punk. I didn't, I don't know anything about punk. That's <laughs> not what I listened to. Like I'm, I was like a grunge kid and a metalhead. Like, so I, I remember at some point, like just like my look in general from the first record, like I started like, you know, you see me like really like heavy Gothic with like all the eyeliner and like the bangs in my face. And for me, like, I didn't like know it maybe at the time, but I look back at it, that was me saying like, no, I'm like this more like dark metal. Kid. I didn't yeah. want to do like big spikes and look punky. Cause that wasn't my thing. And yeah. it pissed me off how often we were getting like challenged in our punkness. So like I pushed it as far the other way as I could because you know, like it, it makes you angry and stuff. And like, I would think, okay, the more you ask Daniel when he's going to do another Silverchair record, the less chance he is of ever doing another, you know, like you, you, like it gets annoying after a while. And, you know, yeah, so of course. I, I get, I get that. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what comes out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Well, man, I think I've taken enough of your time. Thank you so much, Billy. I really appreciate man, it. Man, thank you. I'm, I'm, I had a, I had a good time, man. I've been looking forward to this ever since you said we could do it. So thank yeah, you. Oh, well, well, thank you. Are you working on anything at the moment you, you'd like to plug? Uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, like during this whole quarantine that we've been in, I, I started writing like a solo rock record. I haven't done any rock music oh, on nice. my own outside of good Charlotte, you know? So 
I kind of went back and was listening to old silver chair records and in the old stuff that was really important to me when I first started playing guitar and I started writing a bunch of songs. I like to sing, but I'm not a super confident singer. So I reached out to a bunch of different friends and different rock bands that we've toured with and asked like, Hey, would you sing on a track? So I've got this sort of like EP album in the works. That's the music is, I think you will be very sort of silver chair influenced with, awesome. with different singers on it. So, you know, for people listening to this who might be, you know, wondering where the silver chair influence is, hopefully whenever I can, um, wrap this project up and get that out. Um, so that'd be cool. But you know, my website is just the and you can just find links to, to all my socials and all the different music and art projects I got is all, all linked off of that. Yeah, definitely. And definitely check out Billy's, uh, uh, loops and stuff. Cause if you're a producer or, or, you know, uh, an artist that needs, uh, guitar parts or, or your beats or anything, definitely check that out as well. He, yeah, it's, thanks, it's really man. cool stuff. I appreciate it. All right, Billy. Well, thanks so much. Uh, I'll, I'll let you get back to uh, whatever you're doing tonight. Just going to go have dinner with my wife and kids, you know? Oh, shit. Thing. I'm keeping you away from dinner. That's yeah, all good. Well, thanks again. Uh, yeah, I'll let you know when this is going up. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for having me. And, and congrats with the podcast, man. It's really cool. I'm glad to see someone keeping Silverchair's name out there. And, and you're doing such a great, extensive job with it, man. So oh. I look forward to hearing more episodes. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a good night. Thanks, you too. See ya. All right, see ya. So that was my conversation with Billy Martin from Good Charlotte. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. He was a super nice guy, and I do urge you to go to his website, thebillymartin.com, which I've put in the show notes, and check out the stuff he's doing with Beats and Loops. It's really cool. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, and follow me on Instagram at silverchairpodcast and facebook.com slash silverchairpodcast. You can also always email me at silverchairpodcast at gmail.com. That's it from me this episode. I will be taking some time off, at least for a few weeks. Not only am I starting work on the Young Modern episode, my partner and I are also expecting again, very soon actually, so if things get hectic, I will need some buffer time. If I end up taking longer than expected, I will try to record a little update episode as to where things are at. Don't worry though, I'll be seeing this thing through. That's it for this episode, hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. Since life was over.